This is One-on-One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One-on-One's NFL Friday. Welcome to week four of NFL Friday. I'm Tom Scabelli, joined by Brendan O'Connell. James Corrigan will be hosting with me today. We're going to have Billy Reinhardt giving us fantasy advice throughout the show behind the glass. Tyler Freire producing along with Vinny DeBellis. Guys, we've got a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to start off talking Thursday night football, dolphins Bengals. We'll talk a little bit Jets. We'll talk about the game last week, a disaster of a game last week. We'll preview the Seattle game. We'll do the same with the Giants. And then we'll wrap up a little bit talking about the London game, your guys' thoughts on this whole playing games in London thing. And then finally we'll wrap up. All six of us will give our picks for the final 14 games this week. There's only 15 this week because Eagles and Packers are on a bye. But first of all, how are you guys doing? Pretty good. good. Always uh, always a fun time during the NFL season. So we'll start off talking Bengals and Dolphins. Last night in Cincinnati, Bengals beat the Dolphins 22-7. Pretty boring game, I think, for the most part. I know that was kind of a common theme last year with Thursday night football games. A little exciting in the beginning. You had uh, Tannehill connect with Kenny Stills on that big 74-yard catch for a touchdown. But overall, I think we just saw basically a better Bengals team dominate a pretty weak Dolphins team. Yeah, that's basically what we saw. I mean, the the Stills touchdown was pretty incredible. But A.J. Green proved himself once again to be a top-five receiver in this league. Ten catches for 173 yards and a touchdown. Great for my fantasy team, not great for the Miami Dolphins. (laughs) Uh, who Great have, for my fantasy team, too. <laughs> yes. The Dolphins have no running game whatsoever. J.H.I. did not, only had six carries. They only ran the, the Dolphins only ran the ball 13 times all game, which is pretty extraordinary. And the Bengals defense looked like the Bengals defense. So not, we didn't learn too much about either team. We, it basically just confirmed what we already knew. The Bengals are have a powerful defense and have a dynamic passing game with Dalton and Green, and the Dolphins are not that good. Yeah, that game was kind of, for me, a microcosm of Thursday Night Football. I'm not really a big fan of it. It's just kind of is is mostly like pretty mainly uninteresting for for the most part for me. Um, but I just want to get it out of the way. I want to state for the record, I am indeed a Patriots fan from the Boston area. I'm used to the hate, so... I'm sure you guys will give it to me all, all broadcast, but, you know, got some hot takes coming. Beware. First off, the hot take, the Dolphins are just a train wreck. They're, they're that's not, not a hot that's take. That's not that's hot. Not, well, fact. I mean, <laughs> not a great organization in my opinion. Byron Maxwell benched, you know, out of the starting lineup. Yeah. He's supposed to be a top-tier corner based on the money that they're And they've got inexperienced guys paying. on A.J. Green. Exactly. Of course he's going to go off for when 10, you have to, Especially when you have to face off against – a guy like A.J. Green, who's a top 10 receiver in this league, will get to where we think he ranks in a few minutes, I think. But it, it really hurts the defense because you have so much invested in him. You can't really spread it around elsewhere, uh, be that you know your assets like your, your money and your cap space. But, I mean, whenever you think the Dolphins are moving in the right direction, you know, a couple years ago it was the bullying issues. They hire a new young coach. Um, they acquire some... Supposedly solid defensive players like Maxwell, Alonzo, Sue. They've got Sue. They've got some good young receivers and all that. But you remember that they have Ryan Tannehill, who's yeah. <laughs> dreadfully mediocre in my opinion. He's I think uh, he's worse than mediocre. He, yeah, he probably is. He, they consistently just underperform. Their stars like Sue, Laramie Tunsil, Mike Pouncey. They're all mental cases. Uh, you know, the only team that they can beat is the Browns, barely because the Browns shank a field goal and. You know, the Dolphins get lucky, I had, and uh, it was against the third-string quarterback, too. It was just, you know, the yeah. Dolphins are in a downward spiral. I, I had the Dolphins in my survivor pool last week, and I cannot believe it was that close. Wow. That's the last time I ever put any <laughs> sort of faith into the Dolphins. But you mentioned Ryan Tannehill. I want to talk a little about Ryan Tannehill because, in my opinion, Ryan Tannehill is just a bad quarterback. This is now year five for Tannehill. We have seen really nothing promising out of him. I get that he's an a-, a good athlete. He was a wide receiver at Texas A&M. But at what point do Dolphin fans and the Dolphin organization say, 
hey, this guy kind of stinks. Maybe we should it's, move forward. At, at, it's it's at, the point, at the point where you don't care that he has all the tools, in air quotes. He's got the tools. He's got the arm. He's got the look. He's got the height. <laughs> he, he doesn't have... It's like the money ball scene, right? He, he's got a good face. Yes, he's got a, he's got a good body. Oh, a great body. <laughs> <laughs> all right, problem is, problem is, Problem is, the guy, the guy as you said, ha- has not lived up to expectations in the slightest bit. The Dolphins have not been to the postseason. He's on his second head coach. Joe Philbin got fired underneath him. And now, and, and last night, fit only 189 passing yards, a QBR of 16.6. I mean, he had, was a complete non-factor last night, really. And by the way, Ndamukong Sue also has not lived up to expectations with Miami, apart from his nice cameos on the show Ballers, <laughs> he he has not uh, lived up to expectations well, in well, Miami. Back to Tannehill, I think that's why they brought in a guy like Adam Gase, trying to work with him on the offensive side of the football. Probably give him this season, see if anything develops and any progress you know ensues there. But besides, you know, after that, you really gotta focus on drafting the next guy, signing the next guy, trading for the next guy. You know, moving on from Tannehill because. You're not going to get anywhere with him, especially in the AFC East where he's always trying to knock off the Patriots. And they're probably the worst team in the division, including the Buffalo Bills, who are just a wreck in their own in their own way. Yeah, I actually like Adam Gase. I think that he is eventually going to turn Miami around. I think he's going to be a good head, head coach. He's young. He's got a really good offensive mind. But he can't do it with Ryan Tannehill. And I think that this will probably be the season, if he keeps performing like he's been performing, that the Dolphins are going to say, all right, it's time we really look elsewhere. Because I think the Do- I mean, the Dolphins are not like an uber-talented team, but there's some talent on that team where I think if they got they a better quarterback. They have good wide receivers, too, that they can. Yeah, Jarvis Landry is awesome. Devontae Parker, I think, is going to be really good once he really gets healthy and into the swing of things. So I think they're, they have talent, but it only goes so much when you have Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. They, they have some talent. I, I I did mention I did mention the uh, running back options a little bit for Miami. Those aren't exactly the uh, tastiest of options, but Gase <laughs> has proved himself in Denver as a quality offensive mind, as you said. And last year, of course, winning a Super Bowl ring, even without Peyton Manning at full strength. So, you re- really, if you don't succeed under Gase, you probably stink. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. He's had a lot of success in his offense, and obviously I want to give Tanhill the rest of the year. I don't think they'll be making any drastic moves in the middle of this season, but I think this is the make-or-break year for Ryan Tanhill. But I want to talk a little bit about both these teams as a whole. So they've both they're both a quarter through their seasons now. They've played four games. Dolphins are one and three and last placed in the East. Bengals are two and two. That's good for third. In the AFC North, I think we could probably all agree the Dolphins are not going to make the playoffs. Uh, no. Anyway, okay. Cincinnati, what do you guys think of them? Because I know heading into the year they were a favorite maybe with Pittsburgh yeah. in, the, in the AFC North. Th- but now you've got Baltimore 3 and 2 It's tough for Cincinnati. Well, the division. North, you know, they've got those three teams at the top and then the Browns, and they're always jostling for position at the top of that division. But I think the Bengals are a good team. They've got a solid quarterback in Andy Dalton. I, I hesitate to call him anything like elite or are great in any way, but a pretty good defense, all that, but they never step up and win big games, you know, particularly playoff games. If if they make it this year, which I think they will eventually, you know, I have to see it to believe it from them because under Marvin Lewis, time and time again, they just don't win in the big moment. They they shrink, they are undisciplined, they're just wild. We saw it last year against Pittsburgh with that defense just losing control at the end of the game and absolutely blowing it. So they can't get out of their own way, and they're just, you know, they perennially perennially choke, I feel like, when they make it uh, to those postseason games. So if, I mean, big picture, if they don't win at least one playoff game, I don't care if they make it, I don't care if they squeeze in as the sixth seed and have to play the, the, you know, the one seed or the three seed or whatever. If they don't win a game in the playoffs this year, Marvin Lewis has to be fired, no questions asked. I think it should have happened seasons ago at this point uh, it's it'll be tough to fire Lewis look the Bengals have had a tough schedule so far their losses are at Pittsburgh well, I'm not also not talking about this season I think that just like the body work, I know, you know I know it's been a rough ride in in the postseason for for uh, Marvin Lewis you you think of uh, Marty Schottenheimer sometimes and Norv Turner when you think of of guys like that 
the Bengals this year are going to be fine. Uh, losing to a tough Denver team, losing at on the road to their big rivals, the Steelers, who may still be one of the best teams in football even after they lost to Philly. But like you said, are they in the top tier of the NFL? Are they in the top tier of the AFC? Probably not. So where do the Bengals want to be? It's almost like you know, you want to be at the top, but at the same time, if you fire Marvin Lewis and you hire the wrong guy, then maybe you don't have it. It's not like it's it's not like they have all this They've got good defensive talent, but not the best defensive talent. They've got good players on offense, but they don't have the best from every position. So I think they need to upgrade their personnel more so than their coach because even on paper, these other teams are better than the Bengals. It's not like they're the one seed every year and losing. Yeah, right? but I, they, they've I agree. They've kind of been stuck in the middle, I feel like, under Marvin Lewis, just like, you know, Making it as a wild card team, or even you know, toward I mean, I the think, bottom of the division winners. So I think making the playoffs five seasons in a row is impressive. But I think that yeah, this is now AJ Green and Andy Dalton that duo sixth year together. Mm. Eventually, you're gonna want to see something else. And we'll wrap up our Thursday night football talk. But real quick, because I just want to mention this, AJ Green. I feel like he doesn't get enough credit. This is his sixth season. He's had at least a thousand yards each year. I don't think he gets nearly enough credit. Maybe it's because he's not as flashy as some other guys, but he's very quietly on his way to a Hall of Fame career. At times, he's not consistent, and fantasy owners attest to that, but when he's on, and he's on this year, like, like, you, like, this may be his best start of his career. When he's on, he is on. So, and you're right, he, he is, in my opinion, one of the five best receivers in all of football, and he deserves more credit. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I think AJ Green's a, a great player, but I don't have him in my, in my top five. I actually have him around six. I just, you know, off the top of my head, and looking at a couple of stats ranked some some wide receivers. I have Antonio Brown. Then we got Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald. I still put him up there, and mm-hmm. Odell Beckham. I have all those. I guys hope that's ahead not in order. You can't have not Fitzgerald not necessarily in order, Beckham. but okay. I just have that group. <laughs> and right. and then, it's not all. You know, you got Des Bryant, who you got to consider, even though he's you know. He's got his own problems, but right. um, AJ Green, yeah, he he's great. But again, it's you know when you're on that Bengals team, I I really have to see it in the big moments to believe it and to to really consider him as the elite of the elite. You know? Yeah, I agree with that. So that'll wrap up. And what about the uniforms, real quick? Oh, I'm all in on the color I, rush. I think that the Dolphins were fine last night. I think I did not like the Bengals. Uh, I don't any like color rush uniform. Dolphins, I'm in. The Dolphins might have well have been the uh, Flint Tropics. <laughs> <laughs> you can do so much with that Tiger, though. Yeah, you know, that's true. But, oh, All well. right. That'll wrap up on. Thursday Night Football Talk. We're going to talk Jets in a little bit, but first we're going to throw it over to Billy Reinhardt for his fantasy stardoms this week. Time for some fantasy football talk. Who are the best picks around the NFL? Plus, stardom and sit em to help you win your league. So let's start at quarterback. Phillip Rivers taking on the Saints at home. I think it should be a high-scoring day. And New Orleans, although they've held up pretty well defensively this year, I expect Rivers to break that trend. The Saints are thin and injured at cornerback. Quarterback Matt Stafford at Chicago, I also expect him to have a big day. Chicago has struggled the last few weeks defending Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz. Stafford, I think, will have similar success and expose the Chicago defense with his plethora of weapons. At running back, Carlos Hyde against Dallas. I'm very confident Hyde this week is one of the few options for the Niners. They're a run-heavy offense with Chip Kelly and Blaine Gabbard at, qu- at quarterback. Um, also, I like LeGarrette Blunt at running back for the Patriots. He's the league's leading rusher, and I think he'll have another big day as the Patriots workhorse without any really healthy QBs. Marvin Jones having a tremendous year so far, leading wide receiver in many different formats. I think he'll have another big game against the Bears this week. All right, I like the picks. I like the Carlos Hyde pick, too. And if you're into daily fantasy or anything, he's really cheap on DraftKings. Mm-hmm. Marvin Jones, too, I think is a really good he's pick. He's been good. carrying yeah. my fantasy yeah, team. Yeah, so. I, I got burned last week. Of course, all the Gronk owners see he's active. And we said, oh, do we start him or do we sit him? Of course, everybody that started him, like me, got burned. <laughs> well, Billy, do you know what? His, do you have any confidence in Gronk this week? I actually have, in a league that I'm 3-0. Uh, Not I to brag. <laughs> <laughs> and I have Brady and Bell coming back now, so oh, nice. it's going to be even better. But uh, I have Gronk. I started him last week. He gave me nothing, obviously. Uh, yeah. Um, but I was fortunate enough to win still. I don't think he's going to be a big part of the offense until Brady gets back. They're going to probably ease him back in until Brady's back and then unleash him. 
Uh, so I don't have a ton of confidence in him, but I think if you have him, you have to start him. I'd start, as a Patriots fan, I'd start Bennett over Gronk yeah, for at least the next couple weeks as he tries to fight back from injury. To sit him while he's active is just is just heartbreaking, especially yeah. when he's your first-round pick, like my first-round pick. But there's there's my fantasy question of the day. Yeah. We'll have Billy back on a little bit for some guys to sit. But right now, let's talk Jets. All right, we're ready to talk Jets. Coming off a tough loss last week at Kansas City, 24-3. We'll talk about that a little bit. And we'll look ahead to the Seattle game. But first, let's take a look, or take a listen, I should say, to our Jets beat reporter, Christian Goey's Week 4 Jets report. Last Sunday, the Jets put forth their worst performance of the season, losing in Kansas City 24-3. They turned the ball over eight times, their most in 40 years. From the start, anyone could have told you it would be tough to grind out points against a stingy Chiefs defense in a hostile environment but I don't think anyone expected Gang Green to look as pathetic as they did, especially on extra rest. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the story for a second straight week, but for a completely different reason. This time he had arguably his worst game in the pros, throwing six interceptions, the most in a game since Peyton Manning in 2007. Their red zone play was heartbreaking as Fitzpatrick made costly mistakes and Matt Forte was sparsely used, and Fitz felt the same way. To the two interceptions, down there in the in the red zone uh, that, that were really tough just in terms of trying to get some momentum back. Overall it was a game to forget and head coach Todd Bowles certainly wasn't pleased. Well, it wasn't just the turnovers we didn't play well at all in either phase of the ball game and we took a kicking. It doesn't get any easier this week against Seattle and what Darrell Revis called a must win. The Seahawks offense is hitting its stride after a 37-18 thrashing of the 49ers but their league leading defense is their specialty. Todd Bowles is aware of their reputation. They're consistently very good. Uh, they do what they've been doing. They're very good at it, and they got very good players. Even worse for the Jets are the injuries to their receiving core. Eric Decker is out with a partially torn rotator cuff, and Jalen Marshall has a torn labrum, sidelining him as well. Quincy Anumwa and undrafted preseason star Robbie Anderson will have to pick up the slack. But I just can't see the Jets moving the chains through the air or on the ground effectively. Now, I don't expect Seattle to put up points with ease, but in the end, I think the Seahawks win in a low-scoring game, 14-10, and the Jets fall to 1-3, covering the... I'm Christian Goey, WFUV Sports. Great job there by Christian, as always. He's picking the Jets to lose to Seattle, 14-10. Guys, let's start with the Kansas City game. That was bad. I think Oof. safe to say six interceptions for Ryan Fitzpatrick. No, good productive day at the office. Ugly. He's never looked worse. <laughs> I mean, he he really. Which is saying something. He, he's <laughs> no. I mean, he's really never looked worse than he did there. The two, those two picks in the end zone were backbreaking, especially after the Jets got the biggest break they could possibly get in that second quarter when Spencer Ware fumbled the ball into the end zone, into out of the back of the end zone to for a Jets touchback while he was diving for the pylon. That's like Christmas in September, but two those those throws in the end zone too were just I mean, those were just awful. They were. I mean it wasn't even I mean part of it I guess was inaccurate throws too, but the decision making too was just terrible. And that's usually something He's pretty good with his football IQ and his real IQ, I guess, as a Harvard guy <laughs> is high. But he doesn't always make terrible decisions. He was making awful decisions. Yeah, my big takeaway is that the Jets are a quarterback away from success, which is to say that they need a huge upgrade at the most important position in the sport. So <laughs> that means they're in big trouble. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, as good as he may be in spurts, you know, I think he's actually a decent quarterback on the whole. Uh, he's just a ticking time bomb of turnovers, though. He, you know, we saw it. Last week against the Chiefs, six interceptions, four of which I think came in the last eight minutes of the game, and three of which I think came in the end zone, right? It was just, it's you can't have it. It was atrocious. You can't win in the league with a guy doing that, and it was it was just a bona fide disaster. You know, the worst, the worst thing about that game was the way the Jets just gave up in the, last, in the end of the fourth quarter. You know, it, when, well, it's so demoralizing. Fitz, you, know? you know, when you're down by that much, I know, I understand that. But when Fitz threw that last pick six, the Jets didn't even try to tackle him. I mean, yeah. they didn't even, they didn't even try. 
and then he threw another pick after that. So, you know what? They've got it. They they've got their hands full this week, man. Seattle blew San Francisco's doors off. Plus, the Jets lose Decker in the game. Yep, and Jalen Marshall to a rotator cuff, week. and Jalen Marshall is out after you know lateraling the ball to the Chiefs on that kick return touchdown, based with the ball popped up in the air. The Chiefs player just caught it and ran with it. I don't know if you guys remember when Joe McKnight did that uh, a few years back in that Thanksgiving Jets Patriots game that also had the butt fumble in it. Oh, that was yeah. a good one for the Jets. <laughs> that was a memorable day. Yeah. It was the kick it was the, it was the ensuing kickoff after the butt fumble when McKnight did that and Marshall and and Marshall did the same thing but he his loss is also significant. I, I don't know where this Jets offense goes from here. Especially coming against the Seattle D, which which is the best defense in the league in the first three weeks, I think even though this game's at MetLife Stadium, they're in trouble. Yeah, let's talk about this Seattle game. There's only so much really bad you could say about the Jets last week. It's a bad game. You move on, but the problem is the Jets are in the middle of this very tough six-game stretch. Seattle's next at home, and Seattle hasn't looked as great this year, I guess. Russell Wilson, he's dealing with an MCL injury. He says he's going to play on Sunday. But like we said, the Jets are banged up too. No Decker, no Jalen Marshall. I think 14-10, I think it's going to be around there. I think this is going to be a very low-scoring game. You've got two good defenses and two banged-up offenses. You know, I mean, Seattle's defense, like I said, has been dominant. Their offense really clicked last week against San Francisco. Before that, they had that 9-3 debacle at Los Angeles but Miami too. They only scored twelve yeah. points. I think they're having a lot of difficulty. Yeah, they just be, only the only beat Miami twelve ten. Yeah, at home. So you know what? It it it's going to be. A, I think it'll be a slugfest. Russell Wilson, I think, will be okay. He'll do enough to win Seattle the game. He won't have to do. He won't have to go nuts to do that. But I don't know if you're the Seattle defense and you're looking at. The Jets a banged up offense. I mean, you're you're licking your chops. Yeah, I'm a I'm a believer in Wilson, even though he's hurt, and even though the the Seattle offense has had such a hard time early in this early in this season. Um, but Doug Baldwin, those guys, you know, they have to find somebody to fill the void that was left by Marshawn Lynch. That's um, you know a recurring issue for the running game. But I think their defense will still carry them, especially in this game with the Jets coming off such a such an offensive debacle. Uh, I think that Seattle will win something like nineteen thirteen, another you know low scoring game. But uh, especially with the injuries on both sides and and the defenses carrying them more than than the offenses, I think it'll be sort of in the teens, like you said, Tom. Yeah, I think I'm gonna pick Seattle too. I think that they'll win. I'm gonna say seventeen thirteen. Like I said, I think it's gonna be a low scoring game. I mean, football, I guess, any given Sunday, you never know. It'll probably be like 45-40, and we'll all look <laughs> like idiots. But I think everything you look at, two good defenses, two offenses with some major injuries, Like Decker is just out completely. And Russell Wilson, I know he's going to play, but he's not going to be as mobile. And Russell Wilson is not Russell Wilson if he can't scramble out of the pocket and extend the play. So I think that is definitely going in the Jets' favors in favor. Thomas Rawls is also banged up, although Kristen Michael has been very good mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Seattle. But... I think at the end of the day, I mean, I know it's a West Coast team coming to the East Coast at 1 o'clock, and that's usually a death sentence for those teams. But I just think that with Fitzpatrick not playing great and with the injuries the Jets have, I think Seattle being just a better team will shine through. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. And, you know, this stretch for the Jets, they have to figure it out in a hurry because after this week, they go at Pittsburgh and at Arizona. On paper, those are those are two losses. Yeah, those are two losses. So th- they need to find a win, or else if they lose this game, they could easily find themselves one and five. Think about that. Yeah, we well, in our first NFL Friday show, we were kind of previewing the seasons a little bit, and we were looking at the Jets' schedule those first six games and saying that one and five is a real possibility. And ideally, you would like to get to. Three and three, even two and four, you'd almost sign up for at this point. But you look at the teams they're playing. One and five is is not only a possibility; it's almost probable, especially if they lose this week. I definitely agree with you guys. I mean, if they don't figure it out in a hurry, I, and then after this stretch, I don't think they've played the Patriots yet, right? That's no. Two, no. That's two more games that 
since they're in the division, might you know are probable losses. I feel like the Jets beat the Patriots. They play once, them close usually. every time, yeah. but they, they usually beat them. They once do, again. you know. At least you're probably looking at at best one one and one there, right. and you know after that it's more division games, which are heated as always, usually pretty close. Um, so I mean the Jets, they they look almost doomed at this point. I mean if they want to get to ten and six, in my opinion, they have to win at least one of their next three games to have a chance at going ten and six again and contending for a postseason berth. So. <laughs> They work. They have their work cut out. Seattle's coming. This is their only game of the next three weeks. That's at MetLife Stadium, you know. So it's it's there. So you never know. I agree. It's only week four, but definitely a big week for the Jets. We're going to talk Giants in a little bit. They had another. They had a tough loss as well last week. They're at Minnesota on Monday night. But first, throw it back to Billy Reinhart for some fantasy sitems this week. So you guys were talking about the Jets and the Seahawks. I couldn't agree more. I believe this week will be a very low-scoring game. That's why three of my players to sit are in that game. I believe you should sit Russell Wilson if possible today, playing with his injury and against a tough matchup on the road against the Jets. I would stay away from him if possible. I'd also stay away from uh, Seahawks running back Kristen Michael. I don't expect him to repeat his performance from last week. The Jets are a really difficult front seven to run on. I'm very high on Michael long-term, but for this week I'd stay away. Also, Brandon Marshall, although he was a high draft pick, he's struggled a little bit this year. He's a little banged up and has a tough matchup against a tough Seattle secondary. Also, Eric Decker is out as well, so all the attention will be on him, not to mention Ryan's Patrick's coming off a six-interception game. So I would stay away from Brandon Marshall if possible. And also, Jarek McKinnon, the running back. After AP went down, people rushed to pick up McKinnon, obviously, but the Giants' run defense has been very stingy so far. A little, They gave up a little bit last week to Matt Jones, but other than that, they've been very good. So I'd stay away from McKinnon as well. And also in that game, Eli Manning, he's high-risk, high-reward this week. I think with Shane Vereen and Rashad Jennings both out, Vikings have a very difficult front seven to run on. They're going to be pressuring Eli. I think he's going to sit back in the shotgun a lot, and they're going to just be chucking it, finally open up the playbook, be a little more aggressive than they have been. So I think he will have three to four touchdowns, but I also could see them having two to three turnovers, not just interceptions with that defensive line. Joseph Griffin, I think Eli is prone to fumbling when he gets hit I think I could see that happening so you could take the risk if you have to but I would try to stay away from Eli if possible well you mentioned Eli and I think like you said it's a it's a tough matchup this week against Minnesota but with that banged up running game they may be throwing a lot and let's talk Giants Giants coming off a 29-27 loss to the Redskins last week. Really tough loss, and it doesn't get any easier this week. They're going to Minnesota on Monday night. I talked about that and more in my Giants report this week. For the first time this season, the Giants lost a football game. On Sunday, they fell to the Redskins 29-27 at home. It was a tough, ugly, heartbreaking loss. It's a game the Giants could have and should have won. However, they just kept shooting themselves in the foot with too many costly turnovers, penalties, and other mistakes. One problem was those three turnovers. The biggest one came on the Giants' final drive when Eli Manning underthrew Shane Vereen over the middle, leading to a Sua Cravens game-sealing interception. There was also the abundance of head-scratching penalties. Center Weston Richburg became the first player to be ejected from a game under the NFL's new two unsportsmanlike conduct penalties rule, and safety Andrew Adams was called for unnecessary roughness on a blocked punt that would have given the Giants the ball deep in Washington territory. Head coach Ben McAdoo on the loss. I'm not frustrated. Uh, it's 1-16. It's an opportunity for us to, to learn and grow as a team, and we got to bounce back uh, next week in a primetime stage. That primetime game will be Monday in Minnesota against a very dangerous 3-0 Vikings team. Even without Teddy Bridgewater and Adrian Peterson, the Vikings keep winning mainly because of their dominant defense. Through three games, they've allowed just 40 points, have an NFL high 15 sacks, have forced nine turnovers, and they've scored three defensive touchdowns. If that's not bad enough, the Giants are also banged up in the running game and secondary. The Vikings are not unbeatable, and the Giants are still a good team. But with this being a primetime game in Minnesota and the Giants battling injuries, I'm picking the Vikings in a close one. Minnesota takes it 24-20. But even though I'm picking against them and the Giants are underdogs, 
With Eli at the helm, never count this team out. With this week's Giants Report, I'm Tom Scabelli, WFUV Sports. That was tough for me to do, to pick against the Giants. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like picking against the Giants. I picked Got uh, them to win the first three, two and one. That was tough to do, but, I mean, it's going to be tough. Let's talk more about last week because I was there mm. covering it. That was a brutal loss. And but, I know that the Jets' loss was brutal, but that was in a different way. The Jets just played awful. The Giants played bad, too, but they had so many chances to win that game. And just all the stupid penalties, the personal fouls and all that, was just so brutal. And, I mean, you're up – they were up 21-9, uh, to 9, I believe, at one point in that game. And to blow that against the division rival, you could have went to 3-0, and sent Washington to 0-3. It was bad. Well, first of all, we've got both of our beat reporters picking against the teams that they cover. So, uh, yeah. we're not a pessimist. Gotta we're, stay objective. We're, we're a very pessimistic bunch this week, I see. But, yes, I, I thought Eli, for the – vast majority of the game played as he should very very well he was th- he was zipping the ball everywhere you don't get 350 passing yards for nothing um some great throws to Odell who uh had a tough game who had a good game and a tough game but those picks man it was it was the vintage it was a vintage Eli game because he gave you so much but then in the end he just took it away so it was frustrating, and the Giants should have easily won that game. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I was going to use the same the same term you used, Tom. Brutal, brutal loss. I mean, it looked like they had it for a while there. You know, granted, it's a it's a division game, tough game. Always, you know, the rivalry games always come down to the end, and we saw it again. It was, I mean, here comes the hot takes. It's it's <laughs> Eli being Eli, in my opinion. I think. You know, we we can talk about big Wait, picture Eli. Just, but would you consider Eli being Eli like that game, or when he beat the Patriots in the two Super Bowls? I would, which is Eli? I being would Eli? consider Eli being Eli throwing a pick with a minute okay, left. Okay, in the just wanted quarter. to clarify. That's probably my <laughs> bias coming through. But here's the here's the hot take of the day: Eli, luckiest and worst quarterback to ever win multiple Super Bowls. Multiple, I'm talking about. Oh, and he just has way too many turnovers. I don't know if he's the best leader, even. But that was just that's kind unfounded. Of, well, probably, but. <laughs> As James said, kind of a, a classic, you know, Eli gives you a lot, but then at the end takes it away. And um, overall, though, I think I think Ben McAdoo's off to a decent start at 2-1. and one. Definitely could be 3-0. and oh. um, And I love the comments he made after the game, too, about, about OBJ because Odell's such a force in this league, such a, a great receiver, but he needs to be a more constructive and less distracting teammate. Uh, another hot take coming. He... In a league that is full of just tool bag wide receivers and and divas, he might be the most su- insufferable of them all. The biggest, oh, the biggest clown. No, have you the the helmet <laughs> oh, into the goodness. helmet into the net? The you know he's always that's called passion. Not, exactly. People that's people love to say it's just Josh Norman. I don't think it's just Josh Norman. It it recurs and recurs, and he's a young receiver with a lot of promising talent and. If he cuts this out of his game, he will be unstoppable. But well, I, I mean, think what he already a di- is you have to admit, he's such a diva. All right, as the Giants beat reporter, let's address a few <laughs> things that you just said. Contro- Eli Manning controversy. Eli Manning. All right, is he the greatest quarterback of all time? No, but I honestly don't think it's biased. I still think Eli Manning is a very good quarterback. He's a great quarterback at times when he gets protection, and really when he gets protection, and also when he has some weapons around him. I think he showed that in he's the past. He's better than Peyton. You think so? Another another thing. <laughs> but oh, goodness. I mean, I think that Eli <laughs> and I, I will admit Eli will have one, sometimes two, sometimes more than this, throws a game where you'll just say, Eli, what are you doing? And that was the throw to Shane Vereen at the end there. And I know that he said Sua Cravens kinda cut the root and he thought Shane Vereen was gonna kinda attack the ball a little bit more. But that's still in that situation you can't force the ball there. Billy? I think the Great thing about Eli, and also the problem with Eli, is that he gives every receiver a chance at the ball. He throws a 50-50 ball most of the time, and I think I saw a stat. To Beckham, Cruz, and Shepard, his numbers were great uh, last week. He had no turnovers. When he threw to Vereen, Ty, all the other guys, they're not as skilled. So when he throws the 50-50 ball, sometimes they don't win it out. Ty, you saw he was breaking towards the middle. He kind of turned his head a little bit late. He could have fought for that ball, though, at least make it incompletion. You even saw Shepard in week one. He's a new receiver. He should have came back on the route a little bit more. So you always see, you like, when you see Eli throw the interceptions, you think they're bonehead interceptions, but you 
uh, I mean, you could kind of see his thinking what he's doing. But I, I was as frustrated as anyone as a big Giants fan the other day. Yeah, it, it was tough. And like I said, it wasn't Eli's best game. But I'm, I still think Eli is very good. And you, as a Patriot fan, should know that firsthand. Second, Odell Beckham Jr., I'm not going to totally disagree with you. I think that he does need to mature a little bit. But I think Odell actually composed himself pretty well on Sunday. I know he had the incident with the helmet and the net on the sideline. Well, but on had the field, to on Sunday after last year. Yeah, I know. know but I mean, still, it, you know, Norman, I'm sure, was trying to get under his, his skin. And he really didn't, you know, take any bad penalties or anything against um, Josh Norman. So I still think Odell is great. I, I do agree that he has to mature a little bit more. But I have... For the most part, no complaints. Well, you cannot complain with Beckham's production. I think the bigger issue for the Giants is their lack of a run game. Yeah, of I course, mean, no Jennings, Shane no Vereen, who played well, got hurt. And he will not be playing this week against the Vikings, nor the remainder of the 2016 season. So now the Giants... Well, I saw something that said he may only be two months now. So a chance he comes back later. Only season. two months, so he'll come back uh, in week 16... So now, so now the Giants, at the moment, are left with Orleans Darkwa and Bobby Rainey and Paul Perkins, Paul Perkins. and Paul Perkins, the former Rutgers Scarlet Knight. Wait, no, he went to UCLA. No. Oh no, no, no! Excuse me, I, I, uh, I, I just got him confused with uh, the other Rutgers Scarlet Knight. It doesn't matter, That's but right. it, it's but so that is not a tasty uh, stable of backs for the Giants. And it's, they're going up against a Minnesota defense that's pretty good. So this, so Eli probably can't throw 60 times. I don't like this matchup for the Giants. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about this week. Do kind of fairly quick picks because I want to start moving on. But uh, this week I think is tough for the Giants. I think it's going to be tough to run the ball, obviously, without your top two backs. Their secondary is banged up. Eli Apple and Dominique Rodgers Cromartie are uncertain to play. That would be a killer, too. I just think, I mean, I know the Giants to me are a team that can win any game and they can lose any game, but I just think on a Monday night in a primetime stage and on the road especially, it's going to be tough to beat Minnesota, and I just think Minnesota does enough to get it done. If the Giants were fully healthy, I may be more inclined to pick them, but I think it'll be close. I think it'll be closer maybe than people expect, but I think at the end of the day, Minnesota, the defense will make enough big plays to squeak by. Yeah, the well, the, the Giants, you know, they're upgraded – defense in the offseason has helped so far and I think that despite what you mentioned James with the the running backs um, situation I think that they're and despite what I said about how much of a clown I think Odell Beckham is I think that him and Cruz who's been a a surprise for me I counted him out but he's kind of been um, back to his old self and Sterling Shepard who has a solid rapport with Eli so far I think that you know that receiving core might give him a chance and Eli has been prone to pulling things out of his keister uh, but you know, I think that um, eventually Minnesota, who I th- uh, who I view as kind of the Cinderella of the season, um, even with Bridgewater hurt and Peterson hurt and a new quarterback, um, I think that they'll win this game. They'll barely squeak by, you know, around a twenty-eight, twenty-four game in my opinion. Um, but kind of w- what you alluded to in in your report, Tom, about the Giants heading into this game, I think it's a a tough situation, but. Anything can happen. First of all, the running back I was confusing Paul Perkins with was Paul James, so let's get that out of the way. And second of all, you know, the Giants are going up against Sam Bradford, even though he has played well, pretty well in their wins. The Vikings winning at Carolina last week was, was very impressive. That was a very impressive performance for them. You mentioned Victor Cruz. I think we all sort of said that Victor Cruz was the X factor for the Giants this season, and he really has been. He's back to almost his old self, now in the second wide receiver role. But with Cruz back in the fold, the offensive weapons for Eli are abundant, which makes it so frustrating when he coughs up a game like that, even with all these guys around him. But, yeah, I mean, I at that new stadium... For Minnesota, which does look like an actual Viking ship, by the way, you know yeah, it's a cool stadium. It, it is, it is, and it's hosting the Super Bowl next year, I believe. So, I like the Minnesota Vikings in this game. The Giants won't. This should not be panic mode for the Giants, though. Even if, even if they fall to two and two. Yeah, I agree. So between the seven, the three of us and Christian Go, who just picked the Jets, 
Seven picks all against the local teams, Giants and Jets. So not a ton of optimism <laughs> for the New York teams this week. That'll wrap up our Giants talk. We'll end the show talking a little bit about the London game very quickly, mainly just our thoughts on the London games, and then we'll all join in for our weekly picks. But first, let's get Billy's last fantasy segment, some sleepers you should be thinking of this week. So let's start at quarterback, Brian Hoyer against Detroit. I think he'll be serviceable in deeper leagues this week. Uh, Detroit struggled against the pass this season. They've allowed at least two passing touchdowns in each of their games. Look for Hoyer to be serviceable. At running back, Jordan Howard. With Langford out four to six weeks, it's Howard's time to shine. Expect Howard to capitalize on the opportunity against Detroit. At wide receiver, Jamison Crowder. I was very impressed with Crowder last week against the Giants. Uh, he caught a lot of balls. He got a lot of targets. He's been averaging seven targets a game this year, which is especially good for PPR. I believe he'll have another successful game against the putrid Browns. Tight end Hunter Henry, the Chargers, I believe will have a big game against the Saints. He's going to work the middle of the field very well. Uh, he was the best tight end in the draft coming out, and I think he's going to continue his success. And Jimmy Graham, isn't it weird to see Jimmy Graham as a sleeper? Uh, he had a pretty big yeah. game last week. And he's giving us a glimpse of his old, healthy, superstar self. I'm going to take the risk that Graham performs well again against the Jets. And then lastly, tight end Kyle Rudolph against the Giants. The Giants pass for us, and their secondary are pretty strong, but they are a little bit weak in the middle at linebacker and at safety. Uh, they've had some trouble against some tight ends this year, like Jason Witten. Uh, so I, Rudolph has 26 targets in three games this year. He's developed a nice chemistry with Bradford, and I think he'll have a solid game. That's it for my sleepers. All right, nice. I like it. I like some of those guys. So... Before we go into our weekly picks, first London game of the year. There's a few this year. I know the Giants will play the Rams there uh, a few weeks from now. But it's going to be Colts and Jaguars this week, 9.30 a.m. I am I mentioned on the show a couple weeks ago, I'm a big AFC South guy, but I don't really want to use this time <laughs> to preview this matchup. I more want to talk about the London games. What are your guys' thoughts on it? Because I'll go first. I don't really like it. I don't like having to wake up at 9.30 to watch it. I won't wake up at 9.30 to watch these two teams play. I will when the Giants play. But I just think that it's tough. If you're going to try to build the NFL in London, then don't send the Colts and Jaguars over there. Don't send these bad matchups over there. Send something good over there for the fans. So that's if you're going to do it. But two, I don't understand building the NFL in London. I think putting a team over there, which they say could be the ultimate goal, is just dumb. That would make traveling so hard, and I think it would just be a real mess. You'd have these games starting at 9.30. All the times would be messed up. I'm not in favor. Keep football, keep American football in America. Yeah, I absolutely hate it. I I think that, you know, the fact that London is one of the NFL's goals, you know, this whole London thing, I understand why they might be enamored with it. You know, it grows the brand, brings more of a global audience in, spreads the sport to new places. And it's cool sometimes to wake up on a Sunday and say, hey, football's on, let's let's throw it on the TV. But the teams are always garbage that they send over there. Like you were saying, if you're going to send over a team, send over, you know, the the Packers and pick your... Patriots, whatever. Yeah, Another the Patriots, the Steelers, whoever. <laughs> some Some good actual quality teams. This year it's... Well, this week it's the Jaguars who are mediocre at best and the Colts who are just extremely dysfunctional even though they have a top young quarterback. And it's kind of like taking two below average like Premier League soccer teams or what have you and putting them in MetLife Stadium and say, here you go, play a game. Like This is a cool experience for Americans who might not tune into to European soccer that much and they'll you know enjoy it and learn a little bit about it. But it's really not, you know, it wouldn't, keep fans interested in it beyond that that much and you know soccer is a driving force in europe football is a driving force in america and they don't necessarily translate so i i just hate the idea of i especially despise the idea of moving an nfl franchise to london because as you said the logistics would just not really make any sense it's one of just the most preposterous things that i have ever heard come out of the nfl and there have been a lot of i'm gonna be honest it's not that preposterous in my mind. I think it can be done. Now, there are a lot of problem. There are a lot of obstacles that would need to be uh, jumped over. But there's a way that it can be done. A, a few years ago, Bill Barnwell, who's now v- who was of ESPN, formerly of Grantland, wrote wrote about how it could be done and how and they could make a base. There could be a base for the team, say it's the Jaguars, if they were to move, 
they could have a base back at home in the USA so the players wouldn't have to move to London to play. They could have blocks of games in home and road. They could, say, have two consecutive road games and two consecutive home games. The problem would be for the other 31 teams in the NFL that would have to travel all the way to London to play a game and then have the time difference hurt them not just for that game, but for the game after. So they have to adjust their bodies, maybe give them each a bye after they play the London team, but what if it makes the playoffs? I think it's just too unnecessarily complicated. There are fans though. They 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 sell sure. out. They sell out every. They sell out every. They do, which is game. impressive. They have. They fans, have. But... They're getting a stadium. The new the new Tottenham Stadium, the new White Hart Lane, has its own artificial surface and will host the international series game starting in the year 2018. So they would have a stadium that they could move to. Yeah, I mean it, it could work in theory but it's it's like whenever you have a league that's 31 teams in one area of the world never mind the country and then you put one more on a, you know across the ocean it's like there are hockey fans in Sweden but the N- the NHL is not moving right. one of their teams to Sweden and then trying to make the whole scheduling and the whole you know games work that way so it's i just don't think it could work in that if they want to move a team out of the country why not look at like Canada and go to like Montreal or Vancouver or some big city up there? They already have the CFL. They we know that they have fans up there too, and it would be a lot less of a hassle logistically. I don't know. I don't know what you guys. I mean, I think the the London thing would work from a monetary perspective for sure. They'd sell out and everything, but like I said, I just think the logistics of it aren't really going to work. Before we go, I mean, we'll do all our picks, but real quick, I think we we're all kind of in pretty much agreement that I mean, James, I know you're a little bit more in favor of it, but at least we're in agreement that London's not a good idea. But and let's I, just pick this. I think it also just like oversaturates the product too. They're already, yeah. you know, looking at Thursday night, Sunday, and Monday night, and then you're trying to go to different areas of the globe. It's just when you spread yourself too thin, that's when the product just you know loses its quality. And I think that we're already starting to see that as viewership. Has dipped a little bit at the start of the season. I don't know if it's dipped like very little. Well, yeah, it's dipped and, very and there's, little. There's granted, no... there's not a lot of room to to improve, but yeah. it it might be a symptom of of fans not losing interest, but kind of having too much on their plate from the NFL. Who we're because I want to get into the pick segment because we're running out of time. Who do you guys think? Just the three of us will do this one. Who do you guys think wins this game? I know we don't want to talk about too much about it. I've got the Colts. I think they're just a better team. They need to win. I think Jacksonville because they're a little better than their own through record, but I, I plan on snoozing through this one. I think that this game is such a coin flip, and it, it's one of those games that's probably going to be like 38-37, some wild, crazy game that'll entertain all the fans in London. But I'm going to just shoot from the hip here and say Colts because they have Andrew Luck. All right, we've got 11 games to pick. We're going to be joined by Vinny, Tyler, and Billy. It's time for Weekly Pick'em. Let's look into the crystal ball for some weekly NFL predictions. All right, guys, we're going rapid-fire picks. I'm going to read off the games. We'll each give our pick. First off, Detroit at Chicago. I'm going Detroit against maybe the worst team in football. I do believe that the Bears are the worst team in football, and I do believe that they will make the number one overall selection, so I will go with Detroit. I'm going to go Lions, too. I'm going Bears with the upset. I got the Lions as well. Going Bears. All right, next up we got Carolina at Atlanta. One and two, Carolina needs a win. I think they get it. I mean, it's desperate. It's desperation time for Cam and the defending NFC champions, Carolina. I think they get it done. I'm going to go off the board and say Atlanta here. Wow. I'm going with the reigning MVP and Carolina Panthers. I got Atlanta in the upset. Carolina struggled last week. I think they'll struggle again. Cam Newton with a big bounce back week going Panthers. All right, next up, Oakland at Baltimore. I'm going with the road dog. I don't think that Baltimore is a 4-0 team. I'm going to say Derek Carr and company gets it done. Raiders. You know, I see the three-and-a-half-point line for Baltimore. I like I like the Oakland Raiders in this game. I like the talent that they have. And you're right, I do not believe that Baltimore is as good as their record. I really like the Raiders. I think they're an up-and-coming team. But in this matchup, I'm going to have to go Ravens at home. I got the Raiders. I agree with Tom. The Ravens are not as good as the 3-0 record. I'm really high on Derek Carr, so I'm going to go with the Raiders. 
Got Ravens staying undefeated at home. All right, next up, Tennessee at Houston. Divisional matchup, AFC South going strong. Two AFC South into the division matchup. You love the AFC South, Tom. I think Houston, even without J.J. Watt, they're good enough to beat the Titans. I agree. The Titans haven't looked very good this year. I think they continue the trend. No J.J. Watt. Bad for the Texans. Bad for the league in general. But I still like Houston and Brock Osweiler in this game. Yeah, Texans got to bounce back after last week, and I think they'll be able to do it and beat the, the lowly Titans. I'm going to go with Houston. Even though J.J. Watt out for the year, I think they'll rally behind him. I'm going Houston. I agree, Texans as well. Buffalo against Brendan's Patriots. Who knows who's playing for quarterback for the Patriots? I don't care. I'm not picking against Belichick. I'm going Pats. Yeah, I mean, I could play quarterback for the Patriots <laughs> at this point and go 4-0. There's the Buffalo. Yeah, this is going to be a win for the Patriots. I'm taking James Corrigan at quarterback and my New England <laughs> Patriots in this matchup. I'm going to go with the Patriots and continue to be undefeated. You'll never find me picking against the Patriots. I'm going the Patriots. Pats, anyone at QB, they'll win. <laughs> Cleveland at Washington. Cleveland is very bad. I'm going Redskins. Uh, there's no there's no need to explain this one to pick the Redskins. I'm gonna no, I'm gonna go Redskins. I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna tease the Browns, but I'll go Redskins. Redskins gonna go on a little bit of a mini winning streak after a, a big win against the Giants last week. I'm going with the upset here. I'm going with Cleveland. Wow. Say the Skins ride that Giants win last week. Get another one. Denver at Tampa Bay, 3-0 defending Super Bowl champions. I like Jameis Winston. I think Denver's defense is just too good. I'm going Broncos. Yeah, the Broncos have been the biggest, have been the best surprise of the entire league this year. We all thought that the loss of Peyton Manning would do them in, but then we all realized that Peyton Manning wasn't that good last year to begin with, and they still won the Super Bowl. So I think Trevor Simeon in Denver gets it done. At this point, I think Denver is better than they were last year. I think they're probably the best team in the league, and I'm going to go Denver at Tampa Bay. I'm going to go with Denver here, although I do think it will be a surprisingly close game. I'm going with the Bucks at home against the defending champs. Say Broncos D keeps them undefeated. All right, we're going to pick it up now. We're in our last minute. Just real quick, name of the team you think wins. L.A. at Arizona. I've got Cardinals. Got to go Arizona. Cardinals. Arizona. No question here, Cardinals. Cardinals. New Orleans at San Diego. I'm going home team Chargers. I really do not like the Chargers. I like New Orleans. Too many injuries for San Diego. I'm going to go Saints and Breeze's return to San Diego. New Orleans. Going with Drew Breeze and the New Orleans Saints. Saints. Dallas at San Francisco. I'm going with the upset. I'm taking 49ers at home. Uh, that's a tough game. Uh, I do like San Francisco in this game. I don't know why, but I'm just going to go with the 49ers. I'll go Cowboys. I got Dallas. Going with the rookie quarterback, rookie running back. I'm going with the Cowboys. All right. Cowboys on the road. Last game of the week, Sunday night, Kansas City at Pittsburgh. I got Pittsburgh. think they're the better team and at home. Le'Veon Bell is back, and this Steelers team is going to get rolling. Pittsburgh wins this game and many others. Pittsburgh comes back from that awful loss to the Eagles, and I think they win. I got Kansas City. This is going to be a great game, by far the best of the week. Le'Veon's return. I'm going with Pitt. Chiefs on the road. All right, that'll wrap up week four of NFL Friday. Thanks to Vinny DeBellis Engineering, Tyler Freire producing, Billy Reinhart giving us his fantasy picks, and thanks to Brendan O'Connell and James Corrigan hosting and with thank me. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. And hosting with me, Tom <laughs> Scabelli. We'll see you guys next week for week five of NFL Friday.